For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur. We also believe that what you focus on grows. So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month. And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshe.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the Angie Spoke Podcast. Today we talk to Claire Wasserman. Claire is an educator, author, and founder of Ladies Get Paid, a global community that champions the professional and financial advancement of women. In less than three years, Claire has grown her community to 70,000 women from all over 50 states and more than 100 countries. Claire has traveled the country teaching thousands of women how to negotiate millions of dollars in raises, start businesses, and advocate for themselves in the workplace. Claire is currently writing a book about how to navigate pay and power at work and will be published in 2021 by Simon & Schuster. Enjoy this conversation with Claire. Well, welcome, Claire, to the show. We are so happy to have you. Thank you so much. So, Claire, tell us, you run a company called Ladies Get Paid. Tell us what it does, who it's for. Yeah, it's for ladies who want to get paid. So we we are a career development organization, and we help women level up professionally and financially, and we do that through education. We host webinars. We have an annual conference. We also have this really large Slack group where more than 75,000 women from all over the world essentially crowdsource their career advice. Uh, so that's how we sort of develop our programming is really eavesdropping on their conversations. And we now have a video library. So every webinar we do, and we do at least once a week, it goes into the video library. If you want to check it out, it's ladiesgetpaid.com slash institute. We think we're funny. So we've called the institute, we've called the video library, the Institute of Higher Earning. Nice. <laughs> so yes, I encourage everybody listening to go that check that funny. out. And so what is the business model here? 
Yeah. So from the very beginning, our mission has been to close the wage and the leadership gap because that requires us to be inclusive. And I shouldn't just say requires, it means our mission is to be inclusive. We had to keep our ticket prices low. We had to make sure that the education that we're providing you know, it's available to anyone. So, so most of it's free or it's $10. So does that make a very big profitable business for us? Not really. So a ton of our revenue does come from corporate partners. So these are brands that want to reach women, want to support women. We integrate them into our programming. I also teach at companies and of course our conference every year, last year and this year, we had over a thousand women come. Our ticket prices again are very low, but we've really looked at this more as sort of low price, but tons of people, sort of low price, high volume. And we have a small team. We keep our overhead low. So, you know, we've been around for four years and we're still in existence. So I guess it's working. Where were you? And then how did you get the idea of of opening up or starting this company? You know, I came a little bit late to the game of feminism, maybe. I never really considered myself a feminist. I think I just had a fundamental misunderstanding of what it is and, and I very much, you know, I looked at my mom and her generation. She was this uh, second or third class of women in college. And I thought, ah, she fought for gender equality and we got it. And it wasn't until I had a quite sexist experience in my career that really woke me up. And it was kind of a funny experience. I was at an advertising festival, fancy advertising festival. And this guy comes up to me at a party, older guy, sticks out his hand, he smiles and he says, hi, whose wife are you? And, and it was, it just jolted me. And the whole week I was there, it was just this constant navigation of, you know, these conversations that quite frankly grossed me out. You know, I clearly wasn't being taken seriously. The problem was I needed their business. I was working for a company and it was my job to get clients. And so there was this imbalance of power and there were mostly men at this festival. And when I came home, I wrote an essay. I wrote this essay kind of reflecting on my experience, but not so much, you know, this happened and screw those guys. It was more about me trying to understand my internalization because whenever somebody didn't take me seriously, I blamed myself. And then I realized, my God, I think I'd been doing this in one form or another my entire career. And I didn't have the guts to publish the essay. I felt like maybe I would be looked at as like a man hater or, you know, it somehow would cost me jobs. But I did share the essay with a couple of friends who wrote me back and they said, oh my God, this really sounds like me. Do you mind if I share it with my friends? And I said, you know, of course. And then those friends wrote me back saying, again, me too. You know, and this was over five years ago. And I remember Googling, I think for the first time, women in the workplace. I knew nothing about the wage gap, leadership gap. I mean, I knew that there, you know, we had some progress to make and we didn't have enough political representation, but didn't know how bad it was, particularly for women of color. And when I found out that Hispanic women make less than 55 cents to the dollar, that was actually the statistic that sort of broke the camel's back, so to speak, because I'm an educated person and I didn't know that. And that sort of reeked of my privilege. And I felt this duty, this responsibility, like I need to tell people this if we're not talking about it. And again, this was pre-2016 election. I mean, it wasn't cool to talk. I mean, now it's like there's articles everywhere talking about the wage gap. We're all, we all know too much about it now, but at the time, you know, people weren't talking about it. And I felt depressed for a year because it was like, well, when you discover these things, they're obviously systemic and they're overwhelming. So as an individual, it's like, what can you possibly do to combat something that's so entrenched? 
And it took a year. It took a friend coming to me and saying, hey, listen, Claire, I'm, I just discovered that I, you know, I'm not charging as much as my male counterpart. She was a, a freelancer, freelance art director. And she said, what do you think we should do? And I thought, you know, let's bring a bunch of women together and have them talk about money because money in many ways represented what I'd been ruminating on and frustrated by that, that year, which was its power and its value and its worth. And it's, I mean, if you don't have money, you sort of don't have anything. I mean, it's, it's really the thread stitched, you know, within our fabric of our society to have a weird analogy there. And so that was the beginning of Ladies Get Paid. It was about six months pre-2016 election. I brought 100 women together in an apartment, in a New York apartment, and I decided to make the format a town hall. And I picked a town hall because at the time, these candidates who were running, they were hosting these things called town halls. And I I felt like when you're going to talk about money, I was less interested in hearing advice, which would come maybe from like a traditional panel, and more interested in hearing people's stories and having them kind of recognize themselves in each other. And, and a way to do that is to say to the room, stand up and share something. And it was an unbelievable night. It was so clear that I was not the only one who had been thinking about these things, who'd been frustrated by them. Uh, And also, you know, a lot of the women didn't have answers when they said, I got paid less. I think it's because I didn't negotiate. I don't know how to negotiate. It was like, aha, there is a need here. And I think I may have a solution. And long story long, I ended up that night creating a Slack group, invited the 100 women. And a few weeks later, I actually quit my job because these women had a lot to say, you know, and, and judging from the conversations they were having on Slack and we had different channels based on, you know, different sub themes that had come up that night. I could see the kind of programming we needed to deliver and what the business model could be, which at the time it was splitting ticket profits. So hiring career coaches getting them a boardroom, right? Like an office space, you know, convincing a company that, you know, this would be good for them to open up their space to women. I would find women to show up and, you know, we didn't charge them much, but we would split the tickets 50-50, me and the career coach. And that allowed me to make money from day one, which I don't know how anybody quits their job and starts a company when they're not sure what the business model is. So, you know, so that was the beginning of everything. And it's obviously been a quite a journey, but again, we're we're still standing and it's gone from 100 women to 75,000 women from 120 countries. So I'm just really proud of our whole community. That's fascinating. There's so much more openness, as you said, to having these open discussions around money now, but I still feel like we're only, at least in the entrepreneurship space, we're just barely like breaking into that as a community. Money is still very much a taboo concept. And and so I, I wonder for you, what is the best advice that you've seen given out or that you've given out or that you've been given with respect to how to have more money or how to better ask for what you're worth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find it's interesting with entrepreneurs and with freelancers. It can sometimes be more difficult to talk about money and to figure out what we're worth. I think because there's not as much information out there, right? You can't just necessarily, I think, go to Payscale and find out freelance rates. I, I'm sure there are tons of other sites. I also think the other part of it is sometimes we can feel like competitors, like we're bidding against each other or we have you know similar companies and, and all that. I just think women need to remember that if we try to underprice ourselves to get the contractor or the customer, we're just, you know, it's a race to the bottom. So I feel like we have a responsibility to each other to stand up for what we're worth. 
I think, you know, it's stripping away the taboo of talking about money. I mean, you will make less, most likely, if you do not talk about it. And when you talk about it, it's not just helping you, but it's normalizing the conversation. It's showing the other person, hey, listen, I want you to make more too. And the way that you begin is by just diving in and talking about it. So of course, you know, you need to get your budgets together. You need to have an emergency savings. You need to understand what a 401k and IRR Roth and all of the acronyms. But the very first step is believing that you are worthy of it and being unafraid or at least pushing through the fear to talk about it before you can get to the next steps and all the logistics. One of the things that's come up in our community recently, and I'd love to know your thoughts, if you've witnessed this, first of all, and if so, what are your thoughts, is women who say, you know, I have a partner, I have a husband, I don't really need to make money, I'm fine, but I feel like I want to do more, but I don't really need more. Like they're balancing this desire and drive to create and earn, yet they're holding back because they're like, I don't need the money. And, and I think they think if I earn money, I'm taking it from somewhere else. Do you hear that attitude or opinion? You know, I've heard from women that they feel like they're being greedy to talk about money or want money or to ask for more. I always say, you know, put yourself in the shoes of a mediocre white man, right? And if, can you imagine him saying it? And if the answer is no, then let's talk about how we're socialized and the way that we're socialized, right? To be accommodating and nice and don't disrupt and, you know, put others first. How is that benefiting us? Besides, you know, maybe feeling comfortable because we are, I don't want to say conforming, but we are sort of living up to the ideal girl, okay? Think about the future. Think about the, your future, right? God forbid you end up, you know, alone, right? You need to be independent, right? We, only those who can walk away from, you know, a relationship or a job are those who are able to walk away. And that means financially able. So there's always the future worst case scenario, but there's also the future best case scenario, which is you can leave a legacy. You can leave generational wealth. Your money, you know, sitting in your bank account is not accruing the interest that it might get in a high yield savings or, you know, by putting it in the stock market, thinking long-term. And that's just you giving up money. And that means other people are just taking the money. And I just want to say, I've never felt like I was being greedy to want more, but I have discovered, you know, recently as I've started to invest more, I feel icky about it. It feels like, you know, it's this free money. It's kind of, I'm making money for nothing, right? So even just investing a little bit in a stock, I'm using an app called Public. And maybe in a few days it makes money or it loses money. You know, the whole point is you have to just let it sit there over time. And I'm just like, I didn't earn this. And I'm just, you know... This is all such, I'm realizing it's such a game and it made me feel weird. And then I realized, but all of the men have been playing this game and they got wealthy and money is power, right? You can take your money and donate it if you'd like, you know, whether it's contributing to progressive candidates or to charity or, or you could buy shoes and make yourself feel good by buying shoes, right? So, you know, if you look at it, I think more as power and more as maybe, a, again, a duty or responsibility to help women gain power, then at least do it for us. Think of, you know, gaining money for yourself as maybe con- contributing to, to improving the statistic that I was talking about earlier. I love that idea of put yourself in the shoes of a mediocre white man. I mean, that's just so 
blatantly helpful to think of that. We often, because we have a software company, we often challenge each other to think, what would a dude bro do in this yeah, situation? Because totally. our natural instincts are not necessarily what the, that would be because of who we are and how we operate. And that always is like a really shocking realization when we sit there and discuss We just need that. to add mediocre to the sentence. Yeah. <laughs> mediocre yeah. dude bro. Like, there we go. Yeah. And I, I have to question myself on that all the time. You know, am I doubting myself or having imposter syndrome? Like, would a man feel this? Or, And sometimes it's like, yeah, maybe he would, you know, and I, it's okay. Like I can sit with these feelings for a while, but then it's like, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to push past this? But it is a good gut check for sure. Mm -hmm. Claire, before we started, you mentioned that you had another business before this at one point. I would just be curious to hear about what that was. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I've always had an itch to do my own thing. I, I don't want to say that I you know, knew that I was going to be an entrepreneur or a business owner. Like my parents are not. I knew I wanted to do something that was purposeful. That being said, I, I'm not sure I'm great with having bosses. So I did know that I wanted to maybe end up doing my own thing. The company that I created, it was called Thumbprint. And it's sort of funny because I think it was the genesis of Ladies Get Paid in many ways. I was fascinated by hearing about people's careers. And I wanted to open up people's minds to different paths, right? You think that you want to be a lawyer, but maybe you just like aspects of being a lawyer and there's ways that you can apply that to other careers. So what I did was I started to go around to different people that I, you know, I admired, I admired their careers and I would interview them on camera about their career path. And I would then edit. And when I say I, I mean, I had a partner and she would edit because I don't know what software product I would use. But you know, I did the interviewing, she would do the editing, and we would cut it up into clips and tag the clips. So things like, I don't know what I want to do for a living, right? So that could be this tag or being fired, resilience. And, and so the idea was you could search this database of video clips. You could search for a certain term, even like getting started, right? And so you would see all of these clips from different people with different career paths telling that part of their story. I think it's a great idea. Uh, now I've just given it away if somebody else wants to do it. I just didn't have confidence in my own decision-making skills because I'd never done this before. I had no idea really what the business model would be. I couldn't decide if this should end up being crowdsourced in terms of people contributing their own clips or did this need to be highly curated. So I you know, found myself at, at a crossroads and just had this realization, I need to go learn from somebody else. I need to work for another business, a small business, and see how this is done. And so in a way, I don't really see it as a failure because I got to practice entrepreneurism. And it's, I think, very much the foundation or at least a big part of why I do what I do here with Ladies Get Paid. Yeah, very much sounds like the precursor. Claire, can you take us back to you as a child? What did you learn from your mom about money? Nothing. Love you, mom. <laughs> no, I knew nothing about money. My, I recently talked to my mom about this and I was like, why did you not talk to me about money? And you talked to my brothers and she said to me, she's like, you just didn't want to listen, which I don't know. I don't know. I know I was like terrible at math and like scared of numbers, but I don't, I don't know about that. We didn't talk about money. I knew the value of money because I always worked. I was like a little bit of a child actor and started getting a paycheck at age seven you know, I knew about making money. I worked in high school. You know, I was like a hostess at a restaurant, but I didn't have financial literacy. I didn't know how to even sign a check. So 
you know, I didn't really know what a credit card was or that you have to pay back in full, otherwise you're being charged interest, you know, and what that does over time. So I ended up learning those lessons post-college and I learned them the hard way. But I did always understand and embrace the value of a dollar. That definitely came through with my parents and watching them. But in particular, I learned that, you know, their example showed me that it is possible to do what you love and make a career out of it. So for that, I'm forever grateful to them. So can you talk to us a little bit about pricing? One of the things that our community struggles with the most is how to price. So our community is all entrepreneurs. I know you work with both entrepreneurs and women in corporate jobs, but pricing and setting a value to the work. Can you talk us through some of the advice that you give your clients? Mm -hmm. Obviously, it always starts with like doing your market research, talking to as many people as possible. That's the first step. You got to look at your cost of living really? Like what's your overhead? And you probably can expense a ton of stuff, hire a good tax accountant. So don't take my word for it. But you know, looking at your laptop, like that is an expense, right? You need to charge more than that. Like if you're only charging your Adobe software or your laptop or your cell phone, like that's the bare minimum. You need to make that back and more in order to actually make a living. So don't necessarily start from like, in general, here's what I think I want. I mean, really like walk through all the things that you pay for in your life that you want to pay for, that you have goals, you know, financial goals. And then how do you get there both in terms of what you charge, but also again, you know, and what you save or what you invest but the first step always comes from, you know, just talking about it. What is the most common limiting belief you see in women about money? I don't really see limiting beliefs anymore. Definitely four years ago. I mean, there has been a real shift in both people's willingness to talk about it and the desire to want it, you know, to not be scared of it. So the only limiting beliefs I think I really see maybe is more in the career sense of not feeling like you are deserving to be there, right? Like getting a great job and then doubting yourself. Like, well, maybe I just got it because I'm a really good interviewer or I got lucky, right? And they're going to find out that I'm not as good as I presented myself to be or as smart or as competent, right? That's that imposter syndrome. Or I'm a perfectionist and so I overwork to the point of burnout. And it's because I don't believe that maybe my good enough is good enough. So those to me tend to be the limiting beliefs that end up, you know, they have an effect on your career, but of course they... You know, they're the foundation of how you live. That's kind of what I see more than any limiting belief around money, I think. I would like to follow up that question with a related one. In your opinion, having built this community over the last four years, would you say that the money issues that the women you work with face are more structural or more personal and mindset related? I think it's more structural. We're also getting women who come to the community because they know they want more, right? So they're not joining and all of a sudden realizing that they want to get in the driver's seat of their career and their finances, right? So they're coming to us with, A, I want to know I'm not alone. Like I'm not the only one who maybe has doubts around money or who wants more money. But then there's just like real technical questions, right? What are all these acronyms? What software are you using, right? Like are you using Ally or, you know, there's just a lot of stuff out there when you Google it, yeah, there's websites, but you kind of want to hear it from real people. So they're also getting feedback on their level setting with folks on what they're using, what tools they're using. So I think in the beginning, it was a little bit more mindset. And of course, they always, you know, we always need a boost because we'll always have self-doubt, you know, and the chapters of our life 
change or the stages of our life change and the priorities and the goals, I do see a lot of technical questions being asked in our Slack group, which is why we have education. So what do you think has changed? Like, Maybe tell us who your demographic is for your community right now. Sure. Yeah. So we've, we've always pretty much had the same demographic. It, it's between, I would say, like 26 and 36 years old. All industries. I mean, we have representation from all 50 states. I mean, it's really wide. We are now getting, I think, a lot more younger folks, right? These women in college are about to graduate or, or have recently graduated, especially now. There's a lot of confusion and fear, which I totally understand. But of course, we still have you know, people in their 40s, 50s, 60s. We get a fair amount of women who maybe were stay-at-home moms and coming back into the workforce or women who want to pivot. It's really across the board. But yeah, 26 to 36, it's been pretty consistent. So why do you think that you're seeing less mindset issues now? I think because there's been a general shift in the literature we read, you know, in the books that have come out, in the articles, where everything's just become more kind of political in a way, right? And we embrace money. We understand that there's a huge gap between rich and poor. Like, we want to be on the side of making money. It's also just hard, right? Like, millennials, I graduated in 2009. Man, we're a generation who keeps getting, you know, kicked in the butt here. And so it's hard to build wealth. And so we have to talk about it. We need to ask for help. And so we're doing that. And I think that has helped us get over the mindset. I mean, again, really, I'm just remembering four or five years ago, Googling these things and not seeing publications like Refinery29 necessarily writing about it. I mean, even think about Teen Vogue, right? That is now a part of the conversation as a publication, not just for teens, a publication that has gotten political. This just wasn't the case four or five years ago. So I just think there's been a general cultural shift, not just you know within the women in my community, though I'd love to take a little bit of credit that we have helped move the narrative forward. Hmm, that's awesome. Thank you. So Claire, we ask all of our guests at the end of an episode to share a resource that's bringing you joy in your life right now and a tool that helps you hustle in your business. Yeah, I'm smiling right now. You can't see me. <laughs> Definitely my cat is bringing me joy. (laughs) And I know she's not just bringing me joy. There are many, many people who follow her, although I can't figure out how to log into her Instagram account, but I post tons of pictures of mine. So everybody join me at Claire Wasserman XO. (laughs) Seriously, do it because first of all, her name is Phoebe. Phoebe Cat. She's a Scottish fold, which means she has a very smushed face. Yes. Oh my gosh. Smushed face, like no ears, which sounds very weird, which I guess she sort of is. But she basically is like a stuffed animal come to life and very strange. So Phoebe Cat. And then was that the only question you asked? (laughs) That's your joy. And then what's your hustle? (laughs) My hustle is taking naps. I am a huge proponent. So I'll say two things. One is I take naps, guys, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 10 minutes. Like you have to take breaks, especially now in our political environment and our pandemic that you taking breaks, you know, is actually helping you do better, right? You giving yourself love is helping to give love to other people. So please do not see it as being selfish, but as sort of giving you fuel. A more technical tool, I guess, or thing that, you know, helps me hustle. I love to doist. So T-O-D-O-I-S-T dot com. I think I spelled it right, Todoist. And so it's a way to organize all the things you have to do. I've had many different systems in my life of, you know, hierarchy of tasks and prioritizing. And I think it's just a really like finally, you know, just a simple, straightforward way of 
just staying on top of all of my tasks. Though nothing will replace handwriting the things that you need to do and then having the satisfaction of crossing them out with a big fat marker. Nothing. Nothing. That is why I I have four planners. (laughs) I'm sure I'm not the only one here, but I definitely sometimes add things to the list that I already, like that I just completed just so I have the satisfaction of crossing it out. Every day. hit. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) No. Well, I'm going to get out my planner and then go spend an hour on your Instagram looking at pictures of your cat. Yes. Yeah. It's in my stories, which means I should go ahead and probably post more. Oh my God. Seriously. And you have a book that you have up for pre-sale? Yes. Yeah. So it's officially being published January 12th, but it is available for pre-sale now. Everyone, I encourage you to go check it out. It's ladiesgetpaidbook.com, although we're going to make the official, official announcement soon, and then it will be on the Ladies Get Paid website. It's basically ladies get paid in a book form. So from like the beginning of trying to figure out yourself and feeling good about yourself, all the way to getting a promotion in the C-suite, you know, I walk you through the steps to get there. But I think the format's really interesting. The format is I follow the lives of nine women and each chapter is dedicated to a certain experience in their life. For example, there's a woman who is preparing to give a presentation and she really struggles with perfectionism. And so the chapter, you know, it shows her struggling to put this presentation together. She's sort of her own worst enemy, right? Her own worst critic. And as I tell her story, I stop along the way and I give advice. And it's very technical, right? You know, we've got a lot of bullet points and, and numbers. And so it's really part narrative, but interwoven with tangible advice. So I think it does a really good job of giving you both something that is, you know, compelling, but also something that is you know, you're going to walk away with, again, those bullet points, those steps and things that you can do on Monday. And at the end of the book, there's an appendix of how you lobby elected officials, because there are just so many books out there, I think, that really teach you how to take command of your career for yourself, but don't necessarily acknowledge that we're operating within a system that has not been made for us in many ways against us, right? And I'm speaking particularly for women of color here. And so at the end of the day, right, if you only try to improve your own life, well, we're not really making a lot of progress here. So what are the laws that we need to be looking at that can help women in a systemic way? And then how do you lend your voice to that? What are other organizations that are, you know, working towards paid family leave, for example. And so, you know, I'm proud. The end of the book also covers how do you make change at your company? So I profile two women who really stood up to management and said, we need to make this better. And so hopefully the book can, you know, not only inspire you, but really incite you to action. And again, the action can just be one small step. And in fact, that's really how you make big change, right? All of us taking one step together. So I think the book is, I guess I'm biased, but you know, I think it's really good. It's a damn <laughs> and, good book. Yeah. And people who've read it also have said it's good. And I, and it's not just my mother though. She, you know, has told me that it's excellent. Thanks mom. That's awesome. That sounds great. I love that you brought in the activism piece into that. That's so smart. Yeah. And from day one, that's what I said I wanted to write. You know, I, I was like, it, it's doing a real disservice if you just write a book about how you try to get a raise or a promotion. We've got to take a, a step back and look at this more from like a macro sense. Which very few average white men would do. Oh, yeah. Mediocre. <laughs> Mediocre. Sorry. I'm always like, it should not be on the exhausted and underpaid to have to do this work. But you know what? If no one's doing this work, I'm not going to wait around for them. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. I love it. Well, thank you, Claire. This has been great. Super insightful. I love what you represent. I love your business model, as you know. So thank you for spending this time with us. Thanks for having me. 
Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start, to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba teacher to sign up. It's totally free.